Well, we are starting a brand new series today called Hot Buttons, and it's named that because there are many different hot button issues throughout our culture, throughout our day, our society, uh, very polarizing issues. And we're going to be talking about some of them because it's not right, although it might be comfortable and it might be easy to uh, put our heads in the sand and kind of ignore those issues, but it's not right for the church to do that because if we really believe what we claim to believe, which is that the Word of God is the absolute truth for all things in life, and if it's the absolute authority for all things in life, that certainly applies to the difficult topics and the difficult conversations. And so we need to address those. We need to talk about those together so that we can understand how we are to respond to them uh, out in culture, out in the world. And as you see from your message notes uh, insert in your bulletin, to kick this off, uh, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite topic in the whole world, what everybody has loved to discuss, the easiest thing in the world to talk about, politics. Right. And just to clarify, in case you're wondering, no, I have not lost my mind by starting off with that topic. My dear wife, when she found out that I was going to be starting off the series with that particular topic, she said, are you crazy? (laughs) Yep, that's pretty much what she said, maybe in a different way, but that was the gist. I said, no, I really don't think so, not any more than normal, anyway. Um... No, I really do feel that God would have us to start off with that topic in particular, with politics. And you've probably heard uh, a very old statement that um, politics and religion don't mix. Keep politics out of the pulpit. Who's heard some variants of that throughout your life? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, And... What happens with that perspective and that advice is that there are usually two branches that come from that, uh, two reactions, two responses, um, and they're usually in the extreme, like we so often do with things in life. You know, we, we typically react in an extreme, one extreme or another. We, we very rarely uh, operate in the balance that's in between that. And so there's typically two extremes that come off of that perspective. Number one is that advice is totally uh, disregarded and the exact opposite happens. And the church pulpit is regularly used as a bully pulpit to uh, highlight and promote and speak to a variety of different political positions and perspectives and platforms and even specific candidates. So much so that churches might as well just go ahead and rename their church after their favorite political party. Uh, I think we've all seen that happen. We've we've seen examples of that. Hopefully you've not been in that church. If so, I'm sorry, Uh, but it, it happens. The other branch, the other extreme, is that that perspective, that advice is followed to the point where nothing is ever mentioned or addressed, even remotely resembling anything of a political or governmental nature, and great steps are taken to make sure that always is the case. The problem with both of those approaches is that it's not the approach the Bible takes. 
So, if God, through his word, is not silent on this topic, then we should not be either. But on the flip side of that is the necessity of making sure that what we do say is in line with and in submission to what God says on the subject. There has to be a determination on our part as believers, church, that when we give our voice to such conversations surrounding the topic of politics and really all the topics that we're going to consider throughout this series, but specifically since we're talking today about politics, that when we give our voice to such things, that we do so by keeping in rhythm with God's voice and his heart. So what we need to make sure is a priority for us. What is his heart on the subject? What's his voice on the subject? So to do that, let's jump in together, first of all, with Psalm 146. Psalm 146, specifically verses 3 through 10, is what we'll consider with this passage. Psalm 146, 3 through 10, starting in verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Why? Because there's only one Messiah. Jesus is his name. You don't agree with that? There's one Messiah. Jesus is his name. All right, good. You're with me. You're awake. You agree with that. Excellent. Verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, we need to understand the instruction here in, in these two verses is not that we should never have any trust in our leaders or that we should determine that every single leader, no matter what, is just completely untrustworthy. That's not what it's instructing us. What, what it is saying, what it is communicating, is that we need to be very careful that we do not put all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our faith in any human leader, no matter how good they might be. Number one, because no matter how great they might be, even how godly they might be, will never be enough to meet mankind's greatest, deepest need, which is ultimately to be saved from sin and death. They're not going to be able to do that. So don't put all of your hope and your faith in them. And number two, they're still mortal. They're finite. So even the best laid plans that they might have at some point will not continue because they will not continue. I mean, they're going to die at some point. And so if all of our hopes and all of our trust are in our political leaders and our governmental leaders, and that's what we're resting on, then when they go the way of all the earth, so go our hopes, so go our trust. Right? That's what it's saying. And then it provides us, thankfully, with a great, great undeniable contrast. If we're not supposed to put all of our trust and all of our hope, all of our faith in human leaders and the princes of the earth, as this text says, then who are we supposed to put all of our trust in? And and what is a reliable source of all of our faith and our confidence? The next verse and beyond in the passage tells us that. Verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
And then it provides us with credentials, so to speak. It gives us the credentials of God and, and of his track record. It lets us know his resume of work, as it were. And picture in your mind kind of a, a political debate like we see so much of the time where you have the two candidates that are there to be compared against and questioned about who is more qualified. And if you put that onto this passage, I mean, it's a no-brainer. There's no contest. Put not your trust in man. He's over here in all of his limitations. And over here in this corner is God with his absolute unlimited power and goodness and perfection. No contest. He's the candidate of choice. And here's the listing of all these amazing uh, credentials that, that God has uh, that we can know and rest in every single day. Blessed is he whose hope is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. In other words, who will never disappoint your faith. He'll never let your faith down. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The main thing that I want us to draw out from this passage, from that incredible list of all that, that God is and all that he does and all the reason that we can trust in him and should trust in him completely the main application that I want us to make is this. The hope of the world is the gospel of Christ and the church of Christ, not the White House or Capitol Hill. The hope of the world is the gospel of Christ and the church of Christ, not the White House or Capitol Hill. And by extension, connected to that, truth, that reality, my friends, my brothers and sisters, we need to remember this. Jesus is not a Republican, nor is he a Democrat. Jesus is neither. He is the author of all government. He's the author of all government, and he is more powerful than any political party. It's before Jesus not anyone on either side of the political aisle that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he always has been and always will be the king over all kings, the Lord over all lords, and that includes over all holders of any type of civil office. We need to keep that in mind. We need to remember that because so often we operate in the exact opposite. We operate under the umbrella of Republican or Democrat first before operating under the umbrella of child of the reigning king. We need to keep that in mind. We need to pursue devotion and allegiance to him 
and his kingdom far above any other political system, position, or movement. What that means for you and for me, for those of us who have committed our lives to Christ, it means that that you are a subject to his kingship above and beyond any other loyalty. And you are a citizen of his kingdom before you are a citizen of any earthly land. If you're in Christ, that's what that means for you. That's what's true of you. Your devotion and your allegiance belong to him first and foremost as your king. And then your, your citizenship belongs first to his kingdom. Now, that doesn't cancel out the fact that we are still citizens of the land in which God has placed us and are therefore still subject to the human authorities of that land. Romans 13 talks in detail about that. It doesn't just throw that all away. But there's a tension present. Through Christ, we have dual citizenship. One is an eternal kingdom. One is temporal. And so the next question is, what is our responsibility then as citizens of his kingdom and subjects of his kingship, what is our responsibility to the leaders that God has placed over us and to one another as fellow citizens? And to answer that question, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, and also Titus 3, 1 through 2. So 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, first. And the Apostle Paul there says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then specifically, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. When's the last time that you were able to hold on to a grudge and to remain bitter towards someone that you were actually actively praying for. Didn't happen, did it? While you may have had a grudge against someone and you may have harbored a heart of bitterness, when God convicted you to pray for that person, what happened? You were no longer able to be bitter. You were no longer able to hold on to that grudge because it's impossible to do that while genuinely praying in the Spirit for anyone. You can't do it. God won't let that happen. And so a big part of the instruction here in praying for and interceding for and giving thanks for all people means that as you do that with people that you may not agree with, and may have a problem with, you're going to find that that takes a back seat to simply just praying for them. And then you're going to find, to your surprise, that you're actually able to have a a spirit and a heart of kindness toward those people and, and a heart of thanksgiving even for them. And this certainly applies to the political conversation. We're always going to have people that we don't agree with, that take different positions than we do. But, friends, if, if you are together 
as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're part of the church of Christ, that is your first and strongest identity. And we need to see each other through that lens, through the lens of who we are together in Christ, far more than we view each other through the lens of what political party or position we might be part of. And as we look at society in general, it's easy to get weighed down and it's easy to get even frustrated by things we hear others say. But rather than allowing that to stoke anger in our hearts, let's just determine to do what this verse commands and actually lift up everyone in prayer. Liberals and conservatives alike, Democrats and Republicans, senators and congressmen, presidents, our next-door neighbors, our co-workers, the people we sit in the chairs at church next to, family members. This is pretty clear. Paul says, I urge, and his urging comes through the Spirit of God, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings, in other words, thank you God for this person or this group of people, that that gets made regularly and offered up that that's part of our prayer life all the time. And then he made sure to note for kings and all who are in high positions. And that's everyone. That's not just the people you approve of. And what's the result of that? What's the purpose of it? The last part of this passage, verse 2, tells us that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're not going to live in peace and we're not going to live calmly and we're not going to live in a way that glorifies God by just flying off the handle all the time, by letting everybody know how upset we are and how strongly we disagree with everyone else in the world. That's not going to endear people to the gospel that we say we believe. And that's not going to let people remark at how calm we seem to be and How are we able to live this way? That's not going to do it. But if we will determine to live this way, as 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 tells us to, and apply this to the heated political discussions and debates that are always ongoing, let's just face it, it's not just political season that that happens. I mean, with social media and 24-7 reporting, there's always some political thing going on, and there's always an opinion to have and an opinion to counteract. It's always happening. It's ongoing. So this is always relevant to come back to as our base, This is always something that we need to keep as our foundation and proceed out from. And then Titus 3, 1 through 2. Paul writing to his young pastor, friend, and person that he has mentored along with Timothy. And he says this, Remind them, remind your church, remind your people to be submissive, to rulers and authorities, which, by the way, again, not limited to the leaders that we completely agree with, voted for, and personally like. This means all of them. Romans 13 tells us that all authority, all people in places of leadership and in government position over us were placed there by God directly. We may not always understand why that happens, but we need to agree with the reality of that. 
And the Romans 13 tells us, therefore, if we reject that authority, we rebel against it, we don't respect it, then we are actually doing that toward God who placed those people in those positions. So remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, all of them, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Hmm. Quite the contrast to what we sadly see so often on Facebook and social media in general. Eh? (laughs) Oh, especially during the political season, I was several times to the point of almost literally being sick at some of the rants and the raves that were on Facebook and other social media from people that I knew to be believers against other people they knew to be believers and vice versa. I was personally the subject of absolutely getting raked across the coals by someone I've known for years who has been a very trusted dear brother who because I didn't speak out in a way that he thought I should or he wanted me to, he just let me have it. It's like, whoa, really? And I mean, you've seen the same thing. You saw the tweets, you saw the Facebook posts, you were a recipient of them. Maybe you were a sender of them. But oh my goodness, what we can do through Facebook and Twitter and all these other platforms, we can just, within seconds, so easily destroy someone's reputation, credibility, question their sanity, question their genuine faith in the Lord. We can crush their spirit, we can crush their hearts, and we do it without even a thought about the repercussions. And it's because it's just so easy, right? They're not there in front of us. Social media has made it very convenient to be cowards. We, we, don't, you know, we don't have the courage to say what we're really thinking. And if we did have the courage and we went to do it, then maybe realizing this is going to be in front of the person, I'm going to see in their eyes the reaction to what I'm about to say, maybe, just maybe, it would stop us. But because we have this great big wall between us called social media and the digital platform, we're able just to fly off with whatever we are thinking and whatever we want to say we do without any filter, without any thought, And you can't take it back once it's out there. I'm reminded of the truth of James 3, 8 through 9 in this context. And it's what we all need to remember, church. We need to desperately uh, remember this and just constantly put this in front of our minds, what the admonition of this passage is, which is this. 
with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. Remember, James is writing to believers. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. They should never be this way. Faith Baptist Church, determine if every other church in our area rejects this counsel, determine that we will be a church that receives and applies this counsel. Don't ever let Faith Baptist be rightly accused as being a church that gets so caught up in the politics and the gossip associated with the politics of the day that we are willing to blast and demean those around us. Don't ever let that be what we're known for. Let's be known for the exact opposite. Let's be known for people who follow the instruction of 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, and Titus 3, 1 through 2, and lives out what James says here in this passage. Let's let that be what defines our assembly, our body. You know, when Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17, he did not say, Father, I pray that they will all be fiercely loyal to different political parties. I pray they will easily allow political positions and platforms and factions and party affiliations to strongly divide them. That the world may know the way they vote. And that they would be defined by democracy more than they are defined by me and my kingdom. No! Jesus prayed that our unity together in and through him would be what defines and drives us. And that would be what shows the world the truth of who he is and why they need him. We need to remember our identity, church. If you're in Christ, your identity is first and foremost who and what you are in him. Who he's made you. What he's made you. And what he's called you to be and to do. Which 1 Peter 2.9 clearly communicates. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, not a politician or political party, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a much higher calling, Christian than being affiliated with any certain political group or movement. And please understand, I I have nothing against being politically engaged or active. Not at all. Rather, I feel that we have that responsibility. Remember I said that we're dual citizens. We're citizens of an eternal kingdom, but we're also citizens of a temporal one. And not only are we to respect and submit 
to leaders and authorities that God places over us, but we have been given the privilege, especially in this nation, of having a voice in that process, and by all means, we should use it. So I'm not, I'm not saying that being involved in the process is bad, and that's not what you're called to do. Be active. Be engaged. Just make sure that that is not what defines who and what you are. Make sure that's not what drives your life. And make sure that that comes second to your allegiance and devotion to King Jesus and your citizenship to his kingdom. And recognize that Even if you are to get involved to the point of being active in the process, representing people. We have several in our congregation that do that. And praise God for them. Thank you for those of you who serve directly in the process and in leadership. We pray for you. In church, we need to pray for them even more. But for those brothers and sisters who are senators and delegates and congressmen and women... Remember that if you're in Christ, your calling goes higher than even that noble calling. Because you are what this says. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And every believer has the priority above any other expression of voice to be expressing and proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of eternal darkness into eternal light. And that's the office that we're all supposed to carry out. I want to wrap up by reading this incredible quote from a brilliant woman named K.A. Ellis who actually works with a friend of mine at the Chalmers Institute in Tennessee. And she wrote this in an article, and I think it's absolutely fitting, powerful. She said this, Christianity doesn't fit neatly into man-made ideological boxes, nor does it depend on the principles of other cultural movements or political ideologies. A voice that speaks from a perspective above political, ethnic, or cultural associations should be a hallmark of the body of Christ. And I could not agree more. The hallmark of the body of Christ is the cross of Christ. We heard that sung just a few moments ago. It is still the cross, and it will always be the cross that is the remedy for all mankind. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder today from your word that we need to be careful that we don't put all of our trust and all of our hope and all of our faith in any human leader We thank you for the leaders that you've given us and placed over us. We acknowledge that's from your hand. But Father, guard us against placing all of our confidence in them. They were never meant to hold all of our confidence and our hope. And they will ultimately 
in some way disappoint us. Thank you for the very clear contrast to that, though, that we find in you. Thank you that in you we are reminded that we will always have a source of confidence and trust and hope and faith that will never disappoint us. But Father, as we go about our lives in this land and under the systems that you've put in place, help us to honor you by how we proceed in those different systems and different avenues. Help us to be people who do pray for our leaders and show respect to them and pray for one another and show respect to one another mutually. Help us to guard against vicious comments and statements that damage and destroy. Help us to be people that are defined by peace and by compassion and by grace that live calm, orderly, godly lives that will speak volumes to the world around us. Father, for those of us who are in your son Jesus, he is our Lord, our Savior. We've committed our lives to him. Help us to view our lives and our identity through him and through what he's made us. And help us to make sure that our first and our foremost allegiance is to him as king and to his kingdom far above any other land. We thank you for the gift of life and salvation through your son. We thank you for his cross. We focus on that now. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.